Let's go back and do a fast review of what we talked about previously. So we talked about the difference between um, commandments and case laws, or commandments and what was the other word? Statutes, that's right. The, the biblical word is statutes. My commandments and my statutes, right? Now, the statute, another way that we were describing it as a case law, but what's, what is a statute? What is that? So the commandment does what? What's the commandment do? What does the commandment give us? Maybe I should say it that way. Guidance, Guidance that's true, but it's, it gives us the, the overarching principle, right? And then the statutes do what? They apply that principle. Do you remember that? So you have, you have the, the Ten Commandments, which is, remember the Ten Commandments, okay? Now what we're going through right now is the application of the Ten Commandments through, through case law that was applied in the Old Testament, and you'll see Jesus apply some in the New Testament as well. So the case laws are the biblical applications of the commandments, right? We, whenever somebody walks up to you and says, yeah, there's 700 and some odd commandments, they are wrong immediately. That's not true. There's 10 commandments, okay? And from those commandments, we extrapolate the statutes. They extrapolated them in the Bible. And what we're doing is trying to translate God's law to the modern applications that we have. Why do we need to reinterpret, reapply God's law to our modern situations? Why do we need to do that? Technology's changed, so the so because of technology, the way humans interact with each other is different now, right? They didn't have texting, they didn't have email, you know, they didn't have voice calls where they could reach across the world and talk to somebody. So we had to think about that kind of stuff. What else? What are some other things that have changed? Uh, I just have a point of information. You know that Louisiana is the only state in the union which abides by the civil code, the legislative code, and not by precedent. And that's because of Napoleonic law. Exactly. Right, yeah. We're weird. That's why notaries are pretty much attorneys in Louisiana. They're not anywhere else. But that's why the notary exam is that long in the state of Louisiana, because we're based on Napoleonic law. But anyway, uh, can we, what's some other reason? How are some other things that this is different? Like, what, why do we need to reinterpret these things? Say what? Jobs, yeah. Like, the, the way in which we do work is very different. The way in which we, the economic sphere interacts is very different. Can you think of anything else, Jesse? We're no longer agrarian, so the way yeah. you take a, your ox has killed something, you have to take that one step further. In, in a different way. Your car has killed someone, right? Like some, you, you had a wreck in your car because you refused to get the brakes checked, and someone died. So whose fault is that? That's your fault, Right. And, you know, the, the, ox, the ox goring stuff, we'll get to those case laws eventually, but that's, it's the same principle carried forward. And so you're probably guilty of manslaughter if that happens. And if you've done it in an extremely negligent way, that's why they say negligence is a factor in crimes today. If you've done it in an extremely negligent way, then you're actually guilty of murder because you knew that was going to happen at some point or another. You just ignored it. Are you all following with me here? And there's different degrees of murder. We have that today because of biblical case law. Like, this is, this is where it came from. Now, the way that we're applying these laws today is terrible, um, but hopefully we can right the ship. Hopefully we can point us in a different direction. Any, Robin, you were saying something? Right. Now, let's think about this. Why is it okay for us to say the way that we apply these laws today is different 
Why is it okay for us to do that? Did they do that in the Bible? Yes, right? So do, do, you, do you remember, think with me for just a moment, do you remember whenever God's giving them the law about mildew in their houses and he's saying that they needed to burn their houses down if they got mildew in them? Did they have houses yet? No, they still lived in tents. God was giving them a law. It, the, the case law is progressive, in other words. Like the way that it is applied changes over time. God knew that that was coming. Okay, The same thing applied to them having cities of refuge, right? They didn't have cities yet. They lived in one giant community in tents. The land hadn't been taken yet whenever God was giving them the law. And so all these things we can understand moving forward. And there's a great illustration. And we can understand moving forward that the applications change, and there's a great illustration of this with Paul when he says, do not muzzle the ox when it's treading out the grain. That's an Old Testament case law application, right? But Paul actually applies that to what? I'm glad somebody else said it. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's applying it to paying your pastors, right? He's, apply, he's saying the principle is the one who's doing the work deserves to be compensated for the work that they're doing. Don't muzzle the ox while it's walking in the fields, tilling your grain for you. That's unjust. So he's saying that ox deserves to snack on some grain on the way through the field, man. Give that ox a break. Don't muzzle it. He's like, therefore, this principle applies to me, right? That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, therefore, you guys need to pay me for this. <laughs> Don't muzzle me while I'm doing this. David? Well, probably not, but go. Yes. Yes. Right, right. They apply the principle forward. That's exact. yes, exactly right, exactly right. Do you guys have any questions about that? Oh, that's a good question. Okay, so here's my... I don't have a book written on this yet, but I, I do have a hot take, and here's my hot take, all right? Technology is a gift, and because of technology, you have more time. And the thing that we should be doing with our time is being more productive and more fruitful, Right? It was the same idea like, okay, so we had oxes that plowed fields forever, and then some dude made a tractor. And everybody was like, dude, we can make 10 times the food now. 10 times as fast, because we don't have to use these stupid oxes anymore. And so everybody was pumped about it. And then it made society operate in a more relaxed, cush environment. The problem that we run into, and this is with every technological advance, every time a new technological advance shows up at first, it gets abused because people don't know how to use it yet. That's consistent across the board, okay? Every time, like, we, we, we think, I have more time, and therefore that time translates to more idle time for me. Think about the Internet. The Internet is this amazing gift that God has given us. You can communicate with people on the other side of the world at lightning speed. You can provide information and education from anyone to anyone else in the world at lightning speed. God gave us this beautiful gift, and... 
and we play Grand Theft Auto until 11.30 at night, and we have porn on every computer. Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, we've abused this good gift. So I think that, realistically, I think that AI is another good gift. And to be totally straight, I use it in our business all the time. And it saves us money, and it makes us better at what we do. But it would be very easy for it to make us lazy. Okay? Because you could say, yeah, I'll deliver you that product next week. It takes six minutes to deliver through AI. Okay? And then you say, well, I said next week, so I'm getting paid. I'm going to take the week off. You see what I mean? That's sloth. That's lazy. What we should be doing as Christians is like, because the whole Bible warns us again and again and again and again throughout, don't be lazy, don't be lazy, don't be lazy, don't be lazy, don't do it. The Old Testament and New Testament. We should be saying, now I have all this time, what else can I build? What else can I make? And so some people are afraid of AI, and I understand the reasoning, like we don't want the Terminator to show up. I got it, you know, you're, we're scared of a little bit of the AI stuff. That's a normal reaction every time there's a new technological advance as well. But that doesn't mean that we should leave it alone. I think that we need to figure out how to wield it and wield it well and utilize it to make ourselves more fruitful. It's the same thing with your cell phones. Um, Doug Wilson says it this way. He says, you have 10,000 servants in your pocket. If you haven't read his book, Productivity, I would highly encourage you to do it. But he says, you got 10,000 servants in your pocket, the equivalent of the ancient world's 10,000 servants. And what do we do with it? We catch Pokemon you know, or whatever. Like, we, we have so much more that we could be fruitful and capable of. So use the tools that you've been given, work sick days, be fruitful, expand the borders, and just also recognize that with new tech always comes the abuse of new tech. Always. Jesse? I was going to say, you said, um, you say to a client, I'll give it to you next week, and then it takes you six minutes to make it. Uh, remind me of the proverb, Amen. Amen. Let's fight together. Let's, let's make this fruitful together. Any other questions before we kind of roll through today? Okay, great. All right, so case laws apply progressively over time. They take wise, biblically literate people to apply those case laws. I'm skipping a lot because I want to jump into what's important for today. Today, we are going to apply the specific case laws that speak to biblical slavery. Now, Here's the deal. The moment the word slavery comes out of anybody's mouth, you get a whole lot of false categories loaded in, okay? Because what we do is we receive the narrative of the world with regards to something. And as soon as you say slavery, everything goes sideways. So here's my recommendation to you guys. I'm going to teach biblical slavery today, okay? But I beg of you, Please don't bring this up to anybody else for another month at least, okay? Just sit on it, stew in it, and marinate. And then in a, in a month, whenever maybe you got a clue, then you could have a conversation with somebody about it. But just heads up, because I'm telling you, as soon as you say the word slavery to somebody, they can't hear anymore. Their ears just clogged up, they're locked up, they can't hear. But the definition of biblical slavery is not what we think it is, okay? Um, a proper understanding of what we think of when we say the word slavery is man ownership, chattel slavery, or man-stealing, okay? And that is not 
the categories of biblical slavery. Do you guys hear me? We talk, we're talking about literally owning another human being, which the Bible forbids, okay? We're talking about man-stealing, which is the same principle, like you're stealing people and you're, you're subjugating them to yourself. And then we're also talking about uh, chattel slavery, which was the common form of slavery in uh, the Deep South in the mid-1800s, uh, chattel slavery. Deep South also in the whole country. Did you guys know that? It was not just a Southern thing. People are like, the, the Civil War was fought over slavery. I assure you, it was not. Yes, there are documents that make that statement. I agree. But if you do the research over the whole war and read thoroughly, heads up. Um, the Emancipation Proclamation freed who? Who did it free? Did it free slaves in the whole country? Only in the South. It was a tactic of war used by the North to weaken the South and to cause chaos while the war was going on. I'm telling you, like, um, there was tons of states, and I think Maine was actually one of them, the northernmost. Um, Maine was one of them that still exploited chattel slavery. In fact, it was um, the Puritans. The 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 uh, the Puritans um, did not participate in slavery, but when the Anabaptists came over and they wanted to be able to have slaves, the Puritans said, get out of here, not on my watch. And that's why Maryland was founded. I'm not making this up, by the way. This is, these are historic, this is historical stuff. Maryland was founded by the Anabaptists because they wanted slaves, and the Puritans wouldn't allow it. Like, we need that resolute back. Man, the Puritans were like, get out. You can't do that here. And so they were like, fine, we're leaving, and we're going to start another colony. It was wild. So man-stealing, owning another man... Where do, you guys, where do you guys think the root of that comes from? Where do you think the basis of that comes from? The idea of owning another man. And the very bottom basis of it is you think you're better than them, right? You think they're less than you. And if you're coming to our Wednesday night Bible studies, you see that, that God has ordered creation in a certain way in which mankind rules over the animals, and so if you can consider another man as like an animal, your conscience, sort of, can be alleviated in your ownership of them. Why did the Nazis get away with killing so many Jews? What was their moral assurance? They're less human than us. That's, do you see what I'm saying? And that's what slave owners, some of them, that's what some slave owners convince themselves of. These, they're dogs. They're not real people. They're less than me. Now, you had some good Christians that owned slaves during, that, during the mid-1800s that treated them differently. And you can go read the historical accounts of those. In fact, Squanto himself was bought by Christian monks. Remember Squanto? Y'all remember the story of Squanto? He was bought by Christian monks, bought as a slave, and then they turned around and freed him and, and educated him and helped him and let him know how to grow. There was good Christians who were laboring to kind of perpetuate a good life for these people who were regarded as less than. Can you think of a worldview that would perpetuate such a view of human beings? What's, what is a worldview that would perpetuate a view of other humans as less than others based on their race, based on their ethnicity? Darwinistic, ooh, DEI, yes. DEI, which is an exponential jump from Darwinistic evolution. Darwin, Dar, the whole basis... Oh. Am I even going to get to my content today? Okay, the whole basis of Darwinistic evolution. What's the name of his book, Wade? Origin of 
or the superiority. Yeah, that's right. You, you don't see that second title anywhere. You only see the origin of species. But Shocker. <laughs> I'm actually better than you. But evolution causes you to do that because it, Darwinistic evolution suggests to you that people of other ethnicities are less human than you. Therefore, it's acceptable for you to own them because they're basically like animals. Do you see what happened? That, that, was, that was a huge jump. Darwinistic evolution gave a scientific basis on which you could own other human beings. But for Christians, what's our worldview? We all originated from who? We all originated from one man. Therefore, if you are man, you are made in the image of God. Boom. No partiality. I'm not going to use the word equality because it's been hijacked. But no partiality. You judge with no partiality. They're made in the image of God. That's, that's a beautiful picture. Do you see how dangerous this is? So we see what we're talking about here more and more. The idea of biblical slavery denounces man-stealing, denounces man-ownership, denounces chattel slavery, okay? we got to get that locked into our brains here real fast. In fact, a, a better word might be indentured servitude. I think that would probably be a better word. In fact, in the New Testament, sometimes where it says doulos, which is servant or bondservant, it'll be translated as slave. But you see how all those words operate the same way. Doulos, okay, servant, um, man, uh, bond servant, slave. It's, it's the same Greek term. Now, the, your more modern translations, they don't want to use the word slave because of everything that I just told you, okay? But your older translations don't care because their context is different. So you got to understand, though, if you're doing your Greek study and you find that word doulos, servant, bond servant, or slave, it's all one word. Got it? It's all one word. Okay, <clears throat> now, Bible condemns man-stealing. Bible condemns lifelong slavery as well. How do we know that? Because of the year of Jubilee, right? Every seven years, what happened according to Old Testament law? They were forgiven. But what were they... Now, here's, here's, now this is going to help. What were they forgiven of? Which means... That the people who were bond servants or slaves or indentured servants, whichever word you want to use it, they were not owned as humans, but their work was. Do you see what I'm saying? They didn't own the people, but they owned the labor. Y'all following with me? And it was also the responsibility of the person who owned the labor of another person to do what? Do y'all remember from the Old Testament? What did they have to do? They had to take care of them. In fact, if they did not care for their servants, the law of the Bible went against them. And what actually, if they abused their servants, if they beat their servants, then the law of the Bible went against them and said, you got to set that one free. You, they're forgiven now. You know, you, you have overstepped your bounds. They're forgiven. They're cleansed. You're, you're done here. Y'all follow with me so far? This is understanding. See what I'm talking about? But if you say the word slavery, like the whole world goes, <gasps> but really, we have slaves today. What do I mean by that? In what way do we have slaves today? We pay taxes. <laughs> well, 
We pay unjust taxes. Finish that, finish that sentence all the way. There is some taxation that's allowed, according to the Bible, up to how much? 10%. That's it. We pay 50%. So our government thinks it's God. That's what that, that's what that means. Okay. Our government thinks it's God. That's what the Bible says. We pay like 50% taxes. The Bible gives parameters to your governing authorities to receive up to 10%. But if they receive 10% or more, they're like, man, these guys, they think they're God. That's God's uh, statement about governments that think that way. But no, what, what are some ways that this slavery exists today in our country? Yeah. Bingo. We still have this system. Right? We, we still have the system. In fact, some people who can't pay their taxes become indebted to who? The state. And in, in fact, if you steal from someone else and a criminal charge is brought against you, it's not that you're required to pay the person back that you stole from. You owe your debt to who? Society, which basically means you go to jail and you print license plates, right? Or you call Peter. Yeah, Uh, um, you print license plates, or you do litter patrol on the side of the road, or you do whatever the tasks are that no one else. They fill sandbags over here every time we have a flood come through. If you see, if you go to pick up sandbags from the Amberley here in town, you're picking them up from inmates that are tasked by the government to do these things. They are government slaves. Do you get it? Their, their labor is owned. It's, our masters today are named Visa and MasterCard and the IRS and student loans and all that stuff. But the borrower is what to the lender? Slave. You see, like that, boom, that's how it works. Yes, sir. It's the payday loan places with 33% interest. Could you imagine that? And they keep going. They, so one of the payday loan people, we took them on as a client. I told them up front, I was like, listen, if you guys are these predatory loan companies, I don't want to do that. And we were assured on the front end. They were like, no, 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 we're not like that. And the more they were with us, they're not with us anymore. The more that they were with us, the more I realized, oh, no, you are. You are. This is 33% interest. They would mail out all kinds of flyers, and they, they want recurring customers. They want people that keep coming back to them over and over time. It's, it's, a, it's a wild thing. But yes, so the borrower is the slave to the lender. We still have this process alive today. Your masters are just called Visa and MasterCard. That's wicked, right? Yes, David? Yeah, no. It, what, what you're talking about is man-stealing. Yeah, you're talking about chattel slavery. Chattel slavery still very much exists, and it exists in this country still. Like, the, the, the human trafficking thing, just do a little bit of legwork on wherever the Super Bowl is going to be that year. Dead serious. Do a little legwork on wherever the Super Bowl is going to be that year and find out where the FBI wants to send its human trafficking agents to. It is to the Super Bowl. Why? Because that's a high-demand traffic area for sex crimes, for, for, for children trafficked as sex victims. Like, it's, it's nuts, man. It, it still very, very, very much exists today. So, 
Uh, I want to give you a couple of uh, biblical examples of people who had uh, bond servants, who had, uh, who had uh, slaves, according to the Bible. Abraham did. Um, God had them for his tabernacle. Go look up Numbers chapter 31, verse 25. I don't have time for this, but write that down. Numbers chapter 31, verse 25. God had bondservant slaves for, his, to, for the building of his tabernacle. Um, Jesus has them right now. Who are Jesus' bondservants? Me. <laughs> Us, right? We belong to Christ. The Bible makes that very clear. Um, we owe him what debt? All of it. Right? He, he, has a, he has a claim on our lives because of what he did for us. We owe him literally everything. We are his bondservants. And Ephesians says that explicitly when it says we are as slaves of Christ. It says it clearly, plain as day. Jesus can, in fact, in fact, in fact, in fact, if you go to Matthew chapter 8, where you had the, uh, um, the centurion, okay? Matthew chapter 8, when you had the centurion um, who said, my servant is sick. Remember that word doulos, it's not servant, it's slave. My servant is sick. Lord, if you would just say the word, they would be healed. I have men under my command too. You remember this story, right? I've got men under my command too. And Lord, if you will just say the word, I know that they will be healed. And what was Jesus' comments about the centurion? He said, nowhere in Israel have I found such faith? That was a, slap, a provocative statement that Jesus was intentionally making to slap the Pharisees in the face. He was making it very clear that this Gentile had more faith than the Pharisees did. It was, a, it was a major provocative statement that he was making. He could have not said that. He could have dialed back his tone a little bit. You see what I'm doing here? I'm trying to. I'm trying. Okay. So he could have. He could have not said that, but he said it anyway. And he did that. What could he have said? What could he have said to the centurion if what the centurion was doing was wrong? Get rid of that slave, bro. But Jesus didn't say a word. Didn't say a word about that. Yeah, that's whenever they were deceived. Uh, what was the people? Was it the Midianites? I can't, I can't remember the, yeah, the Midianites or the Martianites or the Maidenites or I'm making words up. I can't remember who they are. But there was that people who came in and they tricked Joshua. The Gibeonites, thank you. They tricked Joshua whenever they came in. And they were like, let us, and Joshua found out that they were actually next door and the next people to be conquered. And they were like, take us as your servants. And Joshua was like, well, you do owe me your life. So fine, you work for me now. He didn't own the men, he owned the the labor, you see? He was like, you work for me forever, that's it. You traded your life to me, fine, that's fine. Now I, I own the labor for you for forever. And they would have been freed had they been abused by any of their masters. Okay, you follow with me? See how, please don't bring this up with anyone for at least a month, okay? Just sit on it, just sit on this because I promise the moment you say the word slavery to somebody, they're going to have all the wrong categories, and you're not going to have 45 minutes to explain it to them, okay? Just, just sit on it for a while, but I want you to try and understand something. This is, I'm teaching on this first largely because this is the hot-button issue of Old Testament case law. This is, the, this is the one where people are like, the Bible affirms slaves, to which the response is, well, yeah, but not the way you're thinking about it. The Bible actually tells you to not man steal, tells you that you can't own another human being. That's evil and wicked. 
We, what we're talking about is owning a person's labor, which still exists today in the form of the IRS, in the form of Visa and MasterCard, in the form of student loans, in the form of pick your option here. Do you get, y'all follow them? Do you see? Right. There's no year of Jubilee here with our masters. They own us forever, right? Yeah, if you don't pay off your debts, you know those debts go to your family, right? That's wicked stuff. All right. Y'all have questions about that? Okay, I'm not done yet. So stop looking at your watch. I'm not done yet. All right. All right, all right, all right, all right. So, uh, what about the book of Philemon? What's the whole point of the book of Philemon? Do y'all remember? Slave ran away from its master. Paul writes a letter. Onesimus, okay? Paul writes a letter to Philemon and says, hey, bruh, I'm sending him back to you. But now, y'all are brothers. So behave yourself. And then at the end of the letter, if you read Philemon closely, what does Paul say? Anything he owes you is on me. And he also says, I'm probably going to come visit you. Heads up. <laughs> like, like Paul's just like, I'm going to come check on my boy Onesimus. Like, don't think I'm just going to say this and then disappear. Like, I'm probably going to show up in a little while. So um, that's a good pastor. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a good pastor. Here's the way it should be. Heads up. I'm probably come see you in a little while. So make sure you're living right. But he restores Onesimus to Philemon and says, now regard him as a brother. Okay. But he doesn't say get rid of all of his debts. He says, regard him as a brother. And y'all figure out this. It, the household codes in Ephesians carry this theme forward too. Ephesians chapter 4 and chapter 5. There's a reason that the household codes, household codes, excuse me, talk about the family, the orientation of a husband to a wife and children to their parents. And then the next subject is bond servants and slaves. It's the, that's the next section that they go to because it's a, all a part of the household codes because this is the way that families worked. This is, and he was telling them how to treat one another properly and Christianly. Okay. Do y'all have questions about this? Man, this is so much fun. All right. So, um, we are to understand that this is something that's authorized by God. We should follow it. Um, the basic understandings of biblical servanthood is that it's, it's voluntary. It's usually voluntary, although it's not always voluntary because sometimes conquered people were exploited to it. Sometimes because they were disobeying God, actually. Remember that? God told them to devote the whole city to destruction and everything in it. And they were like, well, we could use some sermons, so we'll keep a few of these. That's disobedient. But then in the case of uh, Gibeonites, I wouldn't necessarily call that obedience, but they were tricked and Joshua had to keep his word. He was a man of integrity, and so he accorded to, to what he should have done. So it's usually, usually it's voluntary, and it's exchange of labor for, um, you know, money of some type, or the payment of a debt. What are some ways... Exactly. Like, you received loans, not from the bank, but from other people, and then they would own your labor as a result of that loan. Now, let's follow that rabbit trail a little bit. What are some ways that we could bring this back? What are some, let me say it that a different way. What are some ways that we need this today? David? Um, yes. Yes. Yeah.
Right. And imagine what a beautiful Christian witness that would be. Hey, I own your labor now, but now that means you have a place to sleep. I'm going to provide for you meals. I'm going to, I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to give you work. I'm going to give you a purpose in life. That's justice, right? That's justice. But this, our state is God, and so they think, no, no, no. If they violate our laws, then they, you see what I'm saying? They violated our laws, the state's laws, and now they owe us their lives. You see the difference? That's wicked. That's wicked. Um, so restorative justice, that would be a phenomenal thing if we could return to that. A phenomenal thing if we could return to that. Imagine, you know, someone wronging you, and now they live with you, and you care for them, and you have an opportunity to pour the gospel into their hearts for the, the next three years. And that person might... The, the first people who followed Jesus during the Reformation that would come to the, to the Irish monasteries and the... Uh, and the uh, to, to uh, oh, come on, what's the dude who was so angry in the Reformation? What was his name? Martin Luther. There it is, that guy. Uh, the guy who would come to Luther's outpost, they were all criminals. And Luther put them up, and they eventually converted and started following. Like, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful thing. Okay, so restorative justice is one way. What's another way that we could, we, we could return this system to our society for the good of mankind? Bartering, uh, bartering could be something. That, I could see that working out. Um, let me ask you this. If you want a career in the world in which we live right now, what does the, what does the world tell you to do? Go to college. And how does 90% of the people who go to college go to college? They get not just a little bit of debt either. Like I think the average cost of college in the state of Louisiana is something like fifteen to $20,000 a year now. Isn't that crazy? That's an insanely large amount of money. And so when they graduate... Who do they owe their labor to? The Sally Mae, which ironically is the government's subsidized loan source, right? And they owe their labor to them for the rest of their life. And there's, don't worry though, guys, because there's parameters that your loan can be forgiven if you, you know, jump through the hoops in a proper way, if you don't want to pay all the things back. Don't worry. You could be, you can be released. But how much better would it be if somebody wanted to go get a job and another man in our church or another family in our church looked over and said, hey, I see that you're interested in, I don't know, plumbing or whatever. I see that you're interested in, in, uh, in plumbing. I'm, I'm going to pay for you to go to school. But for the first two years that you're done with plumbing school, after you come out, you work for me. Okay? I'll take care of you. I'll make sure that you're paid fairly, you know, but you're not starting your own business as soon as you graduate. You're going to work for me for a couple of years in, inside of a plumbing business that I'm going to start. And then after those couple of years are done, you've repaid your debt. You're free to do whatever you want. Do you get what I'm saying? Now we've created a system to where we're not bondservants to the state anymore. Now we're, we're bondservants to our covenant Christian households. Now we can move in the direction together. You know, we, and what does it cost to do a plumbing exam? Like a couple of thousand dollars? It's not a lot of money right? There's ways to do this, is what I'm saying. There's ways that we can bring back this concept that are desperately, desperately needed. And if somebody's benefited by they have somebody else taking care of them, they have the opportunity to learn a trade and a skill, they're able to not get grossly indebted. If you want to go to plumbing school at T.H. Harris, the cost is astronomical. But, and so you have to take student loans and all those kind of things. But if you just want to go study and take the test, it's not that expensive. And you can do journeyman plumbing with other... Anyway, this, I'm getting sidetracked by the details of this illustration. But y'all get what I'm saying here? There's ways that we could bring this concept back 
that would help us to be um, faithful to God's commands. So anyway, any questions on this? It's not charity. You notice that? Your work has value. Other people's work to raise money also has value. And we want to continue to perpetuate that with our people over time. That's what we're really trying to do here. So again, Stuart says, don't talk. (laughs) Don't go out and start shouting, slavery in the Bible is just from the rooftops because people aren't going to be able to hear you. They're not going to, they're going to hear that word and they're going to have all these false categories go in. But what we mean whenever we say biblical slavery is not man-owning, is not chattel slavery, is not man-stealing. It is the idea of someone else owning the rights to your labor for a maximum of six years, according to the Bible, because that's the year of Jubilee, for a maximum of six years that they may have gainful employment and more opportunities throughout their lives, and if they owe you a debt, give them a just way to pay it off while you take care of them and provide for their needs. Does that make sense, you guys? That's what the Old Testament models of biblical slavery are actually talking about. All right, last call. Questions? John? Yeah, so that's slightly different because we're talking about also the region that they're in is in Leviticus, that time and age where there are slaves around them. Now, the same principles would apply to those people, okay? The same principles of, hey, if you're being abused, you know, you're set free and all those different things happen. But there was special parameters, it seemed like, for the people that were being conquered by God's people. And if these people were obeying these case laws properly, which, you know hopefully they were, then those people who were, who were bought were actually being brought into a better life than they had before. Are you following with me here? So now keep in mind, um, progressive application over time, and we also want to make sure that we're understanding the um, context and when they're placed versus the context in which we're placed as well. Any other questions? Technically, Joseph was a product of man's feelings. Yeah, literally. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't buy, like his brothers were wicked. They didn't buy his labor, they bought him. That was actual man-stealing. Yeah, that's right. Anything else, guys? Yeah, if you're the Lord's. And, well, and we know that Jesus is Lord of all, right? And therefore, all the world should obey his commands. That's the, our disposition to the world around us. And so when we see this happening in the world, we say, you should stop it. Why? Because it's morally wrong, not good enough. Because God says no. God says this is evil. That makes sense? Anything else? All right, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you're good and that you teach us. I pray that we would be faithful to follow your words and commands all of our days. Forgive us of our sins. Help us to trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you all. See you all in about five minutes.